This is Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. Here's Bernie Fratto. Well, as I have said many times before, sports are the greatest reality show invented. You can script everything but the outcome, and that's why this time of year is so much fun. And in our complex world, there are objective truths, there are personal feelings. Our job tonight and every night is to make sure you don't confuse the two. And on that note, I'm Bernie Frado. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. I want to remind you, Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. to take credit cards. Learn more. Discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Tonight I was going to open up by running down the remaining 12 games in the NFL and why this weekend on paper is one of the best. I'm going to move that to the bottom of the hour because there was a little game today in Ann Arbor and it was one for the ages for many reasons. And, uh, we're going to talk about that and the history behind that. You might hear a story that I'm pretty sure you didn't know. In about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Joe Gibbs. He's the founder of NFL Ref Stats, good friend of mine here in Las Vegas. Joe, he was with us back in early September. And, you know, much like the tendencies of umpires in baseball and referees in basketball, Joe will take us behind the curtain. We'll share some certain NFL refs and the data he's collected that have been proving to lead to certain outcomes. So you want to hear that. After Brian Finley's update, again, I'm going to uh, go back to the uh, NFL slate. Got a lot to talk about there. And uh, and I, we're going to close down the hour with a little bit of NFL weirdness and things that have, have happened this year that are a little under the radar. And we'll give you, I'll, I'll bring you back out to Vegas for a little Vegas report before we take you to 3 a.m. with Fox Sports Sunday. Sports are entertainment. They're more than that. Uh, they're a shared experience, as you know. And people want to talk about sports. You've come to the right place. we got a lot to talk about tonight. This is Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. And as I say in PJ Fleck, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. All right, today, one for the agents took place in Ann Arbor. And uh, I consider it to be the greatest rivalry in all of sport. And I, again, winking the nod to Boston Yankees. I get that. But they play 18 times a year. This is once a year. And... I covered 14 of these games, so I've been there. And uh, I could spend 10 shows just giving you stories about that. But what if I told you, in, in addition to all sorts of interesting facts about the Michigan-Ohio State game and the rivalry in their history, this was a rivalry 100 years before they even played a game. I'm going to tell you why. Because it started out as a land war. If you've ever been to that part of the country, obviously Michigan borders Ohio. Well, a little thing erupted in the late 1700s called the Toledo War, and here's what happened. In 1787, Congress drafted something called the Northwest Ordinance, and it stipulated there were about 260,000 square miles of territory that surrounded the Great Lakes that would eventually be carved into a handful of multiple states, okay? But the law decreed at the time that the border between Ohio and Michigan was to run on, quote, an east and west line drawn through the southerly bend extreme of Lake Michigan until it runs into Lake Erie. There was just one problem. The maps that they depicted depicted Lake Michigan's southern tip being many miles north of its true location. As a result, the original border 
placed in the mouth of the Maumee River, and the future city of Toledo in northern Ohio was in, in Ohio rather than southern Michigan, where it should have been. I know Chris Perfett knows about Toledo and Maumee. Maybe we can talk about this later in the show. So Ohio and Michigan, all of a sudden now, they were fighting over this land, and they both had good reason for wanting control of Toledo and the Maumee River because 45 years later, after this Northwest Ordinance was drafted, they'd completed the Erie Canal, and it linked the Great Lakes to the East Coast. That presented valuable opportunities for trade. And as the largest port on Lake Erie's western side, the village of Toledo, which was growing, was poised to become a big commercial hub. But in the original annexation, that should have been Michigan. So with so much riding on this contested territory, both sides decided to really batten the hatches down. So the Michigan Territory settled the region, and they started to construct roads. Uh, they started to build roads, and they had elections. They collected taxes. Meanwhile, Ohio, they tried to find support for its cause. They actually went to Washington, D.C. Now, in the early 1830s, uh, black, or, uh, Buckeye congressmen helped block a Michigan petition for statehood. And one thing kept going back and forth, and, and, and it led to just absolute hatred. So along the short of it, this hatred between the two states and the two schools was basically the result of fighting over what was called the Toledo Strip, which was the, eventually became a 468-square-mile region of land on the state's borders. And then so when Michigan tried to join the Union and as a state in 1835, it tried to include the Toledo Strip and its borders, and Ohio blocked its admittance. At the time, the president, Andrew Jackson, he stepped in. He worked out sort of a compromise where Ohio received the Strip and Michigan received the Upper Peninsula, which is nowhere near that. That was mainly an unsettled territory at the time. And it's safe to say, you know, that the Toledo War has never really been settled, but it's no longer on people's minds anymore. All right. And the Upper Peninsula, if you know, is about 400 miles north. They call it the UP. Upers are really cool people. They kind of talk funny up there, right? Uh, I could tell some jokes, but that, that's probably a time, you know, different, different show as well. So they didn't actually play their first game until October of 1897. And that's when uh, Michigan was rolling. They were, you know, one of the best teams in the country. They killed Ohio State. But throughout the years, uh, these two teams, have, they've, they've had this incredible fighting rivalry, as you well know. And you see how heated against. And I can just tell you this, if you live in Michigan, you already know this, if you go down to a game and you park near the stadium uh, and you've got a Michigan plate, good luck when you get back to your car. You probably don't want to do that. And, uh, you know, you you know about the the, the Bow and Woody 10-year war. There's actually been six ties in this series. The most, the most recent one was 1973. Uh, you may remember the Woody Hayes game in 1968. When Michigan uh, was trailing Ohio State 41 to 14, Ohio State scored a touchdown with time basically running out, made the score 48 to 14. Woody Hayes lines up and goes for two, gets it. The final score is 50 to 14. And at the postgame press conference, a reporter says, Woody, you were leading 48 to 14. The game was over. Why did you go for two? He looked at the reporter and said, because he wouldn't let me go for three. This is how much these two teams hate each other. Of course, Fielding Yost took over at the turn of the century, and he dominated the Buckeyes. Over 25 years, they only lost three times. 
Paul Brown in 1941. The famous Paul Brown, Ohio State hired him. He'd won six straight championships at a high school in Ohio, and he immediately turned the Buckeyes program around and uh, and, and started to beat Michigan. And and then, you know, obviously I just mentioned the 10-year war. Woody Hayes actually won five national titles in Columbus. He went 12-6 and six against Michigan from 51 to 68. But during the 10-year war, uh, they basically split. Uh, they were 5-5. Five and five. One of the most memorable matchups, uh, as I'm sure a lot of folks remember, was what was called the game of the century. It was in 2006. Uh, that's the second to the last, actually the third to the last game I covered. I covered every game from 94 to 2008. When Rich Rod got there and they lost, I said, I think I'm out. And then I ended up moving, moving to Vegas. But the only the 2006 game people may remember uh, was the only time that was the number one versus number two. And both the, both the teams, again, they entered the game undefeated for the first time since 73. And the hype surrounding that game uh, has still not been eclipsed by any game since, including today. It was just uh, I had an opportunity to go to the game, and with people, I didn't have a ticket. I had, had a credential, and what people were offering to get in that game was unreal. Uh, the Buckeyes jumped out to a 28-14 halftime lead. They held on. However, they had to really hold on. The final score was 42-39. Uh, and back then, they had what was called the BCS, the Bowl Championship Series, and uh, they, a lot of folks wanted a rematch. It's kind of like now, what if Alabama beats Georgia? Should they have a rematch in the finals? That could still end up very much happening. Some folks wanted that back then, and it kind of got voted down. Uh, they wanted a rematch and ended up, you know, they used to have this point ranking system, and Florida ended up ranking ahead of Michigan. Uh, they had nine, 9.945 in Michigan, like 932, whatever. One final note, again, as, as part of the sensational aspect of the Ohio State-Michigan series, uh, the night before the game, Bo Schembechler died of a heart attack. And Bo was an Ohio man, actually worked on Woody Staff, coached at Miami. He was part of that coaching cradle. Bo was an incredible guy. And I'll never forget that, the night before. And even in Ohio, for one night, they lit candles and they showed the respect. It was incredible. But it was a very sad moment. There was kind of a pall over the game. But then when the kickoff started, it went crazy. Now, part of the reasons that this rivalry has always been so good is because both teams have typically been relevant. And yes, and I realized before today, Ohio State had won 15 and 16, and they'd won eight in a row. And people said, well, that's not a rivalry. Well, that's not true. A rivalry is when two two teams vie for something only one can have, regardless of what the records are. Just look at Alabama-Auburn today. But back to the prowess of these two programs, the rest of the country cares about this game typically because it matters who wins. Uh, there have been no college football programs that have won more games in history than Michigan and Ohio State, respectively. And along the way, when you look at their school's history, they produced a total of 173 All-Americans, 10 Heisman Trophy winners, 81 conference championships. And I know many of these go back 100 years, but they've also produced between them 19 national titles. In the end, i got to give Jim Harbaugh top credit. I always said I would if he got it done. Well, today he did. I thought he had a masterful game plan. Uh, if, if, if you watch what Oregon did, Harbaugh did very much the similar thing and dominated at the line of scrimmage, crashed his defensive ends, kept pressure on quarterback Chris Olave all day. And one of the things he did was jam Ohio State's receivers in press coverage and not give them a free release. It worked. It worked. 
And, uh, you know, Harbaugh brought in a new staff at the beginning of the year, a younger staff, a more dynamic staff, and they really did the job. And Cade McNamara has developed into a fine quarterback. He's from Reno. He did a lot of uh, really good things today. If you're curious about the betting, well, nationwide and in here in Las Vegas, 76% of the cash was on Ohio State, 75% of the tickets on Ohio State. But one Caesars, William Hill better an hour before the game. 275000 on Michigan plus eight, or actually it was a couple days ago, and uh, he turned out well for him. And in, in Michigan, where it's legal now, sports books are legal, 95% of the tickets were on, Ohio, or, or, or on Ohio State at kickoff, if you can believe it. Uh, didn't work out so well for them. Be that as it may, Michigan dominated. They, they rushed for, you know, what, 200 and some yards, seven point yards per carry, five for eight on third down, one for one on fourth down. Now they'll play Iowa. They'll, this is something new for them. Harbaugh before today had never won a, Michigan, a, a Big Ten Big East. He's won one now. Now to win the Big Ten, he's got to beat Iowa and Indianapolis next week. It's my understanding Michigan will open up as about an 11 point favorite. I had a dream. The team got off the bus and walked into the stadium and said, Coach, is this heaven? He says, No, it's Iowa. I heard that in a movie somewhere. It'll be a good game, but I don't expect Iowa to get on top. I, I don't expect Iowa to beat Michigan. Uh, they were an underdog yesterday or earlier. Was, when, when did they play? Yesterday uh, against Nebraska, against a backup quarterback. Be that as it may, Hayden Fry has been around the block, and he's always been a pest for Michigan, but usually when he's in Kinnick Stadium, Ohio State will be solid, def- or Iowa will be solid defensively, but I do expect Michigan to win that game. All right, coming up. Uh, you've had this gentleman on before. He's a good friend of mine, Joe Gibbs, uh, the creator of NFL Rest Stats. Much like the same uh, that, you know, Major League Baseball umpires have tendencies on balls and strikes. And uh, you've got situations where uh, in basketball, certain refs are more prone to call fouls than other refs. And you know the Scott Foster deal with Chris Paul. These numbers don't seem to lie. Well, we're finding the same thing in the NFL. And if a ref doesn't like it, he could make your life hard. That's just a fact. They're by, they're, these games are, you know, are officiated by human beings. Well, Joe's been keeping good stats on this, so you want to you wanna hear this. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! The great Bernie Fratto, folks. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always want. And I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This time, let's welcome in a gentleman, good friend of mine here in Vegas for a decade. He's the founder of NFL Ref Stats. He was on in September, and we're going to compare notes because just like the other sports, umpires in baseball and referees in basketball, refs in football have tendencies of their own to say hello to Joe Gibbs. Hey, Joe, how you doing, buddy? 
Good, Bernie. How are you doing this evening? Good, good. Let's dive right in because we were talking earlier today when we were watching the Michigan game. Thursday night in Dallas, 38.5 million people watched that game, the most, the biggest TV audience of an NFL regular season game since 1990. And what was one of the takeaways after the game? The referees. Speak to what we were talking about. Well, they were introduced to Sean Hockley. That's the first thing. They probably never knew who he was before that game. They do now. Um, it was basically a, a perfect combination. I, I even posted this before the game, that Hockley, fourth most penalties, Raiders, fifth most penalties, the Cowboys, the third most penalized team. So it was kind of a perfect storm heading into the game. And you get Hockley on these primetime games. He has a history of sort of getting out of control. Um, and that's kind of what happens. Um, he loves the camera, and he plays up to it. Not not so much on your normal, you know, your, your Sunday morning game, you know, Jaguars and you know Titans or whatever. But on these primetime games, he'll 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 play up to the camera, and that's kind of what happens. So let's talk about that. And you're right. Each team had 14 penalties the other night, Thursday Raiders and uh, and Cowboys, 14 each. And the game went over, and more penalties typically leads to overs. Does that not, Joe? Yeah, generally there's a correlation to more penalties to the over um, or leads to an over. Um I mean, I'll give you the exact opposite. Uh, three referees this year, Ron Torbett, Bill Vinovich, Brad Allen, have called the least amount of penalties, and they're all trending very strongly to the under. So there's a correlation, absolutely. Well, one of the reasons I brought that up is that game actually flew over, but you can find out who, you know, which crews are on these games. So to your point, you know, it's probably fairly good odds that in the next 10 weeks, John Hockley will be on some kind of primetime game, and you may look to that and maybe give you a lean to the over. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, well, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. In Hockley's defense, he's actually a pretty good under-referee, especially in divisional games. In fact, in his career, he's done 21 divisional games. Uh, 15 of those 21 have gone under, 73%. He normally calls a lot more offensive stuff, but it, it just got out of control on Thursday night, and it kind of just fed off itself, and what we got was what we saw. Um... And in the aftermath of that, you had Jerry Jones out there sort of saying, you know, this is unacceptable, these ridiculous ticky-tack fouls. So I'm going to be kind of curious to see if the NFL does clamp down on it a little bit. We don't know, but that's just a guess on my part. So let's – okay, fair enough. Um, Talk about some of the other – and by the way, you mentioned divisional games. Divisional games as a rule typically lean – under more so than non-divisional games because of the familiarity they play a couple times a year and they Absolutely. play a little tight, tighter the vest and of course Thursday night was a non-divisional game but you know that's just a grist for the mill talk about yep. some of the other referees and the uh, observations you've made well I've got different categories obviously home field advantage who, who favors the home team and there's a handful of them and and the, and the best one for his career so far is John Hussey and I go back to 2016 I do about a five year window but I also do 2021 stats but John Hussey and he's on the Miami game tomorrow just as a reference uh, John Hussey home team 67% straight up win percentage 60% against the spread which is way above NFL average and in fact Hussey this year is 7-3 and three with home teams and he's on home teams with Hussey right now on a 7-0 straight up end against the spread run and he has Miami tomorrow so if you like Miami Dolphins tomorrow catching two and a half and it doesn't hurt to have john hussey officiating the game 
Very good. They are at home, catching two and a half against Carolina. And I yep. already liked Miami in that game, so there's another reason to take a look at Miami with John Hussey on the game. Continue on, Joe. Yeah, another guy, Carl Shepard, 62% straight up. Uh, Brad Allen's another one, 61% straight up, 58% against the spread. These guys generally favor the home team. There's a few more in that category, but those three really stand out. And then you've got the guys the exact opposite who just for whatever reason they don't favor the home team. Uh, Ron Torbert, Craig Roll said, home teams against the spread the last five years with those two, 38% against the spread, which is way below average. Um, and Torbett is actually on the Giants game tomorrow. So it's a bad Giants. It's an anti-Giants sort of situation. In fact, Torbett was on the Giants-Broncos game week one. Giants were plus three. Torbett was on the game. They lost. Now, it's not just because of Ron Torbett. It's not... But but it's part of the equation. And um, home dogs with Ron Torbett the last uh, four and a half seasons, 8-25 and against the spread. Well, these are real numbers. Now, this is interesting because the line I currently show, Philadelphia is laying three and a half at the New York Giants. Correct. Correct. And uh, I, this is not a game I will be involved in, but the Eagles have some real momentum. Uh, they've won two in a row. They've scored at least 30, those, 30 points in each of those games. Uh, the right. I, I agree. I think the, I think the Eagles may be a little bit overvalued here. They get a little bit too much hype. But, um, and I don't necessarily bet the games just because of the referee and the trend, but it certainly is something that I look at. Um, but but where yeah, I was, go, where I was going with that, Joe, if someone asked my opinion, I like the Eagles, and I like the Eagles to lay the points. I'm not on the game, but when you right. run for 175 yards four straight games – that matters, and, and you're, you're, you know, so I right, continue on because, you know, people can find out who these referees are, and you've already given two in the Miami game and the Philadelphia game. We're talking with Joe Gibbs of NFL Ref Stats. Some of the other refs, Joe, that caught your eye and their, and their, and their trends. Okay, so there's a couple of guys, and people always like to bet overs, so I give out the best over referees. And anyone who follows me knows Jerome Boger is kind of a guy that I go to. Boger, 62, last five years, 62% of his games have gone over. He's been kind of mixed this year. It's been about 500. But he gives the, he gives the offenses a chance. When you look at his way he calls the game, he calls above-average defensive holding, above-average pass interference, above-average unnecessary roughness, but below-average offensive holding. So it gives the quarterbacks a little bit more time, and it also penalizes the defenses. So Bogue is a great over-referee. The other one who's really good, and it's only his third season, and I mentioned him early in the year, Brad Rogers. And his first two years in 27 games, he was 20-7 and seven to the over. And I'm like, well, is this just an aberration or is this, you know, for real? Well, he's 7-3 and three to the over in 2021, so he's continued on. He's 70% to the over. Uh, he's on Minnesota and San Francisco tomorrow, which I kind of like over. So those are the two that really stand out as far as overs go. Uh, Brad Rogers and Jerome Boga. And Boga's on Sunday Night Football tomorrow. He's on Baltimore, uh, Cleveland at Baltimore. And I'm going to post that tomorrow afternoon. And the Ravens have a great uh, record with Boga officiating their games over the last decade. So, yeah, something to look at. All right, very good. So to recap, the Ravens-Browns total tomorrow night is 47 I, I expect there to be some points in that game. Again, I'm not involved, but I'm very picky these days. And the Vikings 49ers total is 49. And so Correct. the referees – and Jerome Boger, you said, is on the Vikings 49ers game? 
No, Bogus on the Sunday night game. The um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The Browns, Ravens, and then Rogers is on 49ers, um, Vikings. And so the other one that people always contact me about is the taunting and the unsportsmanlike conduct and stuff like that. And in the overall scheme of things, the taunting, which I don't even know why they have that. It just seems ridiculous. It just, it just seems unnecessary. Um, but the teams that are most penalized, Seattle, Chicago, Jacksonville, those, those three get more taunting penalties than anyone else. But there's no rhyme or reason to it, but that's just what it is. And the Seahawks are also number one in unsportsmanlike conduct. So Pete Carroll runs kind of a loose ship, and you can see it in the penalties, the taunting, the unsportsmanlike conduct. Seattle leads the league in both of them. So, you know. Joe, this is excellent stuff. I want to have you on again after the new year as we head into the playoffs because uh, these uh, crews they select for the playoffs, we'll see how this lines up uh, with your data, okay? Absolutely. Sounds good, Bernie. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. That have is Joe night. Gibbs. That, thanks, Joe. That is Joe Gibbs, the founder of NFL uh, Ref Stats, good friend of mine here in Vegas. Known him for about a decade, and this stuff is real. And a lot of times, uh, I'll be sitting with Joe and be on a game because of a referee, and you'd be amazed how often uh, these trends and this information and sort of this proof of performance, as it were, by certain referees, more often than not, uh, comes to fruition. Coming up, let's talk about why, on paper, Week 12 of the NFL season might be the best one of the season. But first, Let's go to the man. He was actually at the uh, Michigan-Ohio State game today wearing socks and sandals. It's Brian Finley with the latest. You know, Bernie, it looked pretty cold out there. I think I might need something more than that. But we did as we had such an exhilarating day of college football. To, to cap things off, we nearly had an upset. At, uh, USC almost beat number 13 BYU. They had a chance with Jackson Dart leading into the red zone late in the fourth quarter. Fourth down came, and he threw the ball short of the sticks, and they turned it over on downs the Cougs. The number 13 team in the country prevail 35-31. to And BYU is now 5-0 against Pac-12 teams this season. They are 10-2 as far as their regular season record. Number 7, Oklahoma State prevails over 10th-ranked Oklahoma 37-33. to And after the game, Sooner said Coach Lincoln Riley had something to say about that reported speculation about him taking the head coaching job at LSU. Here is what he said to reporters, quote, I'm not going to be the next coach at LSU. Next Next question, close quote. And because of that Sooners defeat, Baylor now takes their spot in the Big 12 title game after the Bears beat Texas Tech 27-24. In the SEC, number three Alabama had a late 10-3 deficit that they were able to overcome as they disheartened Auburn 24-22 in four overtimes as the Tide find a way to stay in that SEC championship game, which is coming up next week, where they will take on number one Georgia. By the way, the Bulldogs bulldozing Georgia Tech on Saturday 45 to nothing. Also a win for number six Notre Dame. They plow over Stanford 45-14. Jack Cohen, 345 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception and the Irish don't look now are 11 and 1 on the year a win for 12th ranked Michigan State as they hang on against Penn State 30 to 27 Spartan extraordinaire running back in Kenneth Walker 30 carries 138 yards and one touchdown and as Bernie mentioned number five Michigan gets the job done against number two Ohio State 42 to 27 with Wolverines running back Hassan Haskins a school record five rushing touchdowns Ed Orgeron who is soon to be out now 
as the LSU head coach, says he will not coach the Tigers after they ended up qualifying for a bowl thanks to a last-second win on Saturday against 15th-ranked Texas A&M, 27-24. 11th-ranked Oregon holds on against Oregon State, 38-29, so the Ducks will converge with Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And then at the Rose Bowl on Saturday night, Chip Kelly finishes out the regular season with his eighth win of the year as the Bruins, the UCLA Bruins, take down Cal 42-14. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback for UCLA, over 100 yards rushing. Sounds like a good day, Bernie, as Chip Kelly is headed to a bowl for the first time as the Bruins head coach. Let's get back to a man who is in Vegas, and the Bruins might be in a bowl game in Las Vegas. Still that to be determined. It's Bernie Frado. Thanks, Brian. By the way, I saw your UCLA Bruins today at the Thomas and Mac. They beat UNLV 77 to 51. Oh, you were there, Bernie. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had a nice talk with uh, Doug Gottlieb, who was on the game sure. for the stadium. Yeah, Doug and I see each other twice a year. Uh, he comes through, does lots of games for the various networks. And prior to my uh, assignment here at Fox Sports Radio, I spent seven years with ESPN. Radio here in Las Vegas, and I did the uh, pre and post game show. Yeah, for I the remember UNW that. Rebels basketball, and I would see Doug. I saw him before he moved to Connecticut. When he moved to Connecticut, now he's back, and we were we were chopping it up today. But yeah, your Bruins, <laughs> uh, they're going they're going to be a good team. They're they, they're going to be very good this year. Yeah, they'll rebound after that Gonzaga loss. Back to you. Right, that was kind of payback probably from last <laughs> year's Final Four because remember that game UCLA was outstanding. Oh, they were. But it's only November, so there's plenty of time to rebound, given that there's still so much to be determined in college basketball. We're just getting started, Bernie. This is amazing. We got fans. We got these amazing matchups. I was in Houston all week. I just got back, and and, uh, I I was going to go to the – I just got back late, late, late last night. Then I I was going to go to the uh, Gonzaga. Oh, yeah. UCLA. Anyway. That's a story for a different day. Good night, folks. Thank you. Thanks for paying. You've been a great audience. Uh, by the way, a quick non sequitur. Uh, you heard Brian in the update talk about the fact that Lincoln Riley proclaimed uh, pretty vehemently, I'm not going to LSU. I believe him. And then it was only fair that they invoked the Nick Saban comment. It's almost 15 years ago since he said that. It was late December uh, in 2006. And the Dolphins had gone from nine and seven, and they'd fallen off to six and ten. And Nick Saban uh, said, "I am not going to Alabama." Well, he wasn't at that time because he thought he was getting Drew Brees. He told the owner Wayne Huizenga, uh, "Get me Drew Brees. We're, that's all we need, and we're a playoff team." They flew in Drew Brees to sign him. Basically, Drew Brees failed the physical. He signed with New Orleans, and the rest is history. Saban on New Year's Day met with. Wayne Huizenga and his family, the family's wives, and very tearful meeting. Saban says, I can't stay here. He goes, I, if I can't have the quarterback I need and I want, then I can't win here. And they all understood, and he moved on. So at the time, that's been thrown in Saban's face for many, many years, and unfairly, but most people don't know the backstory, so it's that's fair. They can think what they want. But had Saban gotten Drew Brees, who when he thought he was getting him, he would have stayed, but Again, I digress, which I am want to do. Is tomorrow or today in the East, uh, this this Sunday, uh, maybe the best one of the NFL so far, Week 12? Look, there's seven matchups this week with teams that have records of 500 or better. And in about uh, oh, 43 minutes, we'll have Steve Fezzik on for the 
Fezzik Five, and we're going to chop up every, just about every game. But what's going to happen tomorrow, these games are going to go a long way in clearing up the pecking order in the playoff races in both the AFC and the NFC. And you've got a couple of AFC North matchups coming to focus. And it's the only division where every team has a winning record in the AFC North. So Pittsburgh will head to Cincinnati. Cleveland will travel to Baltimore. So here are the questions. Will the Bengals actually sweep the Steelers this year and take a major step toward a playoff berth with their man Joe Burrow? Will Lamar Jackson be back? Will he help the Ravens try to gain more distance from the rest of the division? There's some other really good matchups on the schedule uh, as well. Tom Brady leads Tampa Bay into a big game in Indianapolis. This will be the 10th time Tom Brady's been there. He's 5-4 and four lifetime. He doesn't have to worry about Peyton Manning anymore. He's got to worry about Jonathan Taylor this time. Meanwhile, the Red Hot Patriots, they host the Titans. The student, uh, Mike Vrabel, faces off against the teacher, Bill Belichick. The Rams, they travel to face the Packers in a battle of a couple of NFC contenders. And I think these are all very intriguing matchups. Uh, let me touch on a couple of them here as teasers because the Steeler game is very intriguing to me. Uh, they were getting four points. They're now getting three and a half. And the Bengals won the first game. Uh, this is a rematch. Obviously, the divisional teams play each other twice. Since he's six and four, the Steelers are five, four, and one. The Steelers, though, get back T.J. Watt tomorrow. They get back Joe Hayden. They get back Micah Fitzpatrick. That can only help. Uh, big area concern because uh, the Pittsburgh allowed 533 uh, yards to the Chargers. The, the most in nine years since he's actually beaten Pittsburgh twice in a row. Uh, would it be a, considered a shocker if the Steelers won this game at, at Paul Brown Stadium? Uh, the Bengals are for real. Uh, coming up in about 40 minutes, I'll tell you who I really, really like in this game. Tampa Bay Indy, another game that's very uh, critical to the NFL and the playoff runs in terms of seeding. I just, as I just mentioned, Tom Brady has a very long history in big games in Indianapolis. Peyton Manning is no longer there. Instead, it's Jonathan Taylor, who's averaging, averaging 158 yards per game on the ground the last three weeks for the Colts. Now, Tampa Bay does have the league's best run defense, but they're going to be tested. Uh, my feeling is this is going to be a very close game. Tampa Bay's laying three on the road, but I do think Tampa Bay wins, and they don't really. You know, put a, I would say, put an exclamation point on until the fourth quarter. I think this is going to be a very tight, hard-fought game. The Miami Dolphins. Uh, you heard uh, Joe Gibbs talk about the referee situation there that favors the Dolphins tomorrow. Uh, the Cam Newton uh, return uh, took a dent last week. Tua looked great. He was 27-33, 273 yards last week. Of course, cynical people will say that was against the Jets. Fortunately, I'm not a cynical person. Take a look at Miami tomorrow. I think they're very live, and they're getting points at home. Uh, Tennessee, New England, I just mentioned. Uh, that Look, Mac Jones is doing everything I said he'd do. People can diminish him all, they, all he wants. He does everything that he's been asked to do. Trust me, he can throw a deep ball. They just haven't really let him do it. But he's doing everything else. And let's give huge credit to New England's defense. Uh, they're eighth in the league in takeaways. They have 15, but the key is they're plus six in turnover margin. I got a funny feeling it's going to be a long day for Ryan Tannehill. 
Uh, Bill Belichick will find ways to confuse him. Uh, you've really got to trust the Patriots' defense, especially at home, where they've only allowed 10 points per game in their last two. Will they cover the seven? Will they win the game? They, meaning New England, we'll talk about that in about 40 minutes. But I don't think the Titans go on the road and win that game. The question will be, will they? can they hang the number? A uh, couple of other games that are very intriguing, Los Angeles Rams at Green Bay. The Rams have had a... A, a bye week to lick their wounds. Aaron Rodgers now 41 and 21 when he's coming off a loss. He's four and one straight up and against the spread as a home dog. Uh, I think the Packers are getting two points tomorrow. Uh, the Rams should be refreshed. Uh, they're going to get Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. Packers are undefeated at home. And I would just say um, I will never bet against Aaron Rodgers ever in Green Bay. I'll tell you why when we come up a little bit later. Uh, Stafford is no stranger to uh, Lambeau Field, obviously, all his years in Detroit. And when you put him outside on turf in cold weather, uh, because he played his entire career in a dome, and so far might as well be a dome in beautiful L.A., we'll get we'll, we'll talk about that game uh, among among many, many others. Uh, one thing I will say, uh, I'll skip to, to Monday night real quick because I don't know what the hell happened to Russ, letting Russ cook. He must have lost the cookbook. But he is 10-2 uh, and two straight up on Monday night football, and the Seahawks should be able to handle the Washington football team. We're going to go into this in great detail. Coming up, I want to give you some a little NFL weirdness through week 11 because there have been some things take place this year that typically don't, typically don't happen in usual, uh, usually in normal years, and this is not a normal year. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. Don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! One of the best in the business, Bernie Fratto. We're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Before going any further tonight, I want to thank my broadcast crew, Chris Perfett, Brian Finley, and Bull Benson, and they will be with me all the way through till 3 a.m. Eastern. Check that, 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. Could not do this show without you fine gentlemen. I want to also remind everybody that Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Uh, if you have an inclination this has been an odd year in the NFL, uh, here's a couple of reasons. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are 3-7. and seven. Uh, They're 3-7. and seven. There's only one team in the NFC that has a worse record than them, and that's the Detroit Lions in the NFC. That seems weird. By the way, uh, Tim Boyle, who made his first NFL start for Detroit a week and a half ago, uh, or actually last week, he had an interesting college byline uh, at Connecticut, where he was—he uh, started his—he matriculated at Connecticut at the beginning of his career. He threw like one touchdown and 13 interceptions, and then he went to Western Kentucky, and it wasn't much better. Hope springs eternal. Never give up, folks. By the way, uh, Tim Boyle lost. The, he finished with 77 yards passing and two interceptions, but he is getting a game check. God bless him. I mentioned this earlier, the Philadelphia Eagles became the first team since the 1978 Patriots to run, rush for at least 175 yards in four consecutive games 
and not any of their running backs individually had a hundred yard was a hundred yard rusher in any of those games. And this is in a pass happy era in the NFL where the rules favor passing. Uh, Atlanta Falcons, who are on the road tomorrow or today, if you're in the East, and in eight minutes will be today as well here in the West. They're on the road to face the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did you know the Falcons haven't scored a touchdown since Week Nine? And they've been outscored 68-3 to the past two weeks. And uh, this is the last time the Falcons went, uh, you know, two consecutive games without scoring a touchdown was like back in 1988 or 87. I don't know. I wasn't even born then. This is craziness stuff in this wide-open offense in the NFL. The Ravens. They don't face an NFC opponent tomorrow. They face Cleveland. But they've actually won 13 in a row against NFC opponents. That's pretty impressive when you consider only the Patriots between 2005 and 2009 had a better interconference record winning streak, 17 in a row. And this is, uh, this is both in, you know, in NFL history. Uh, Lions have played every game at home in Thanksgiving since 1934. I covered 10 of those games. I loved them. You know, people complain that they don't like the game in Detroit. I hate to tell you this. Not a lot of NFL teams want it there. One quick thing I want to leave with you. We hear about NFL trends every week, and they're important, and they're typically relevant. Well, Thursday, there was a 93% trend that had been 15-1 since 1993. What was that trend? That any team who had been in the playoffs the year before that was a home underdog on Thanksgiving week or later, if they were 500 at the time, or they were better, they covered 93% of the time. Well, that was the New Orleans Saints. They were getting home. They were getting seven at home. They'd been a playoff team last year. It's Thanksgiving week, and they're over 500. The problem is they missed 14 starters. So you've got to trust but verify. You've got to trust but verify these trends. They're not automatic. By the way, tomorrow's best bet isn't automatic either, but I really like the Steelers tomorrow catching three and a half. Ben Roethlisberger, 19 and 5 in the state of Ohio. All right, coming up, stick with us. Fox Sports Radio on Fox Sports Sunday. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're going to take you to 3 a.m. Right out of Vegas! 